Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, performance camel wear at a price you can afford. Huntworthgear.com. And by Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation. Now a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and always a supporter of duck hunters everywhere. Ducks.org. I'm Dan Small. Today, wild foods expert Sam Thayer talks about the joys of mentoring new hunters. Author Nick Vanderpie tells how he got involved in the successful effort to stop a taconite mine in the Pinocchi Mountains. And Dan Quinnell invites listeners to a winter campout. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and you hear this feature every week at this time on WTSO, 1070 AM in Madison and the Madison area, and you also hear it on our podcast wherever you get your podcasts, maybe on LakeLink or iHeartRadio or other platforms. And joining us now is a fellow we haven't talked to in a while, Jim Kasuda. He's a pro staffer with Clam Outdoors and Vexilar, and he's actually joining us from the ice somewhere in the Madison area, and we're recording this on Wednesday morning just before the storm. So, Jim, thanks for joining us this morning. Yeah, Dan, good to hear from you. You are on the ice, so I guess there's enough ice to walk on, huh? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to call it four inches, which is usually considered relatively safe for walking, and, you know, there can always be bad spots, but you have to be careful, and fortunately we haven't yet had this big snow, so things are pretty visible, and we got on safely, and I think that we'll be able to fish for a little while here today. Well, good. So, any action yet? I've got two nice bluegills. They're just what I want, eight-inchers, which I call anything less than nine and eight-inchers. So one's about eight-and-a-half, and and the other one's probably eight-and-a-quarter. And that's the size I like to keep, and that's the size I like to eat. They just fry up good. All right, and how are you catching them? It's actually my first day out, so I'm kind of shaking down my gear, and I'm going old school, so I'm actually fishing with a Vexlar, and uh, I have just a long rod, and I'm fishing a shallow water spot in the Madison area. And what kind of terminal tackle? Well, right now I've got a clam drop jig in the very smallest size. It's kind of like a parrot color, so it's got a bluish-green back and kind of a bright yellow and orange breast. A couple of eyeballs. Going old school today, so I'm catching my fish the old way. Two spikes. I'm fishing with a Vexlar, so... I've got the FLX30, which, of course, is the newest model. The reason I'm running that is because I want to just be able to see what's down there in the shallow water situation. I can tune the frequency. I have it down at 160, so I have a pretty large field of view down there in shallow water. I can see my jig. What do you see? This is a locator. It's not a camera, correct? Correct. This is just basic flasher sonar, so... Sound waves are traveling straight down and hitting the bottom of the lake and then coming back and receiving in the receivers and displaying on the screen. But like I say, I can tune the frequencies and I can tune the power and the gain and I can tell what's going on. I mean, uh, obviously, I can only see what's right below my hole because I'm only in four feet of water, but the point is, is that, you know, I'm going old school 
today. How wide a cone does that see things on at uh, at that depth, four or five feet? I have my transducer close to the middle of the hole, and I actually have a clam aerator bubbling there to kind of give, give you a spot that won't freeze because it's uh, really cold out. But the area is basically very limited. I'm going to say just several inches because I can actually work my jig into an area where I can't see it when I'm just fishing right in, in, right in the the hole that I have the Vexlar transducer and that's actually okay because I do have enough coverage area and, and the electronics doesn't catch the fish you have to catch the fish and that's kind of why I didn't bring live scope out today because I wanted to just kind of hone my skills I have to be able to detect the bite I have to be able to know when to set the hook and I have to be able to catch the fish the electronics does not catch the fish well, for somebody who doesn't have, and most ice fishermen today have some kind of electronics, but oh, yeah. what is the basic gear that somebody just getting into this sport really needs? Well, really what you need is super light line, like two-pound test, and you need really sharp hooks. you got to have jigs that are just razor sharp, and you have to know how to tie the knot. I, I happen to right now have a loop knot tied onto the drop jig because that way gives the jig a lot of action and it will hang at a nice angle. If you tie a clinch type knot, you have to be really careful that you straighten your jig so that it hangs horizontally. But then beyond that, you have to have the ability to detect the strike. And in the case of most anglers around the Madison area, we use spring boppers. And that's that tiny little spring off the tip of the rod that just wiggles at the slightest uh, bite. You know, before these high-tech ice fishing lines came on the market, people used sewing thread. Maybe you've done that. You know, the monofilament sewing material that was like half-pound test or something. Yeah, that was a thing, and I'm sure it still is. One of my buddies, uh, Brian, does still use sewing thread, which is three-quarter pound test, but it's not really quite as uniform as I would feel comfortable with. I used to use one thing that was called Otter Line, and that was many years ago. I mean, we're talking, geez, 30-plus years ago. But, no, I just stick with the traditional brands. Clam makes a really nice frost mono. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, sewing thread is not designed for ice fishing, whereas the uh, ice fishing lines are. What are you anticipating this year? What do you think the ice fishing conditions are going to be like uh, now we got snow coming and uh, and cold weather? Uh, they kind of offset each other, don't they? Yeah, and see, so I'm kind of, you know, trying to second-guess Mother Nature. We do have this big snowstorm coming, so I thought, well, I'm going to get out here and really hammer them. But coupled with it, we had below zero temperatures last night. So when you're fishing these shallow water spots, I think the fish can feel the temperature, and it tends to somewhat slow them down or make them inactive, so I don't think they're moving as much as I would prefer, but I've just been fishing for a couple hours, so it might get better. Now, do you follow the solunar tables or uh, fish and game activity periods that uh, various um, companies publish? 
glance at it once in a while, and usually I do it kind of uh, retrospectively, so I'll find out, oh yeah, that's when they said it would bite, and sure enough, that's when I caught them. Uh-huh. Yeah, my dad used to do that many, many years ago, and he he often said he could detect when a major feeding period ended because it just shut down, but he rarely could uh, detect when it actually started up, you know. Yeah, and you have to be on fish to know if they're biting or not. And because I didn't uh, bring out the live scope today, I wanted to try it out in perspective mode, which is when you tilt the transducer horizontally instead of vertically, and then you drill an 8-inch hole, and in shallow water situations, you have a really large field of view, and you can kind of just, I mean, I haven't used it yet. I use it uh, in normal forward view quite a bit for perch fishing, and it helps a lot. Uh-huh. Any other advice for ice fishermen who are going to be hitting the ice now that we're, we're going to be having some ice that's fishable? Stand right over the fish and put it right in front of their nose. Uh, that's something. You got to be really stealthy and quiet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, we'll let you go and uh, wish you a merry Christmas and happy New Year. And thanks for the report. And hope you put a few more of those eight inchers on the ice. Thanks, Dan. It was really great talking with you. All right, Jim Casuda, pro staffer with Clam Outdoors and Vexilar. Reporting live from the ice in the Madison area, I'm Dan Small, more Outdoors Radio, right after this. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named best personal injury law firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit Hupe.com. And by the way, all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. And the firm of Hupe and Abraham has paid thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes in the Milwaukee area. Michael Hupe is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, and he recently announced he will pay a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip on an unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimestoppers.com. 
Well, joining me once again from Wisconsin Rapids, Jeff Kelm. Well, Jeff, gosh, we've weathered some storms the past week, but we got more on the way. We're recording this uh, Wednesday, which is just before it's all supposed to hit, but you were telling me before we started recording, you've seen some damage already. Yeah, we've got, uh, you know, that, that ice that came before the snow in uh, much of Wisconsin uh, last week has really wreaked havoc, havoc already on, on the woods back by, by our house. Uh, we've got a number of uh, 35, 40 foot red pines uh, that were all planted. Uh, some were, were, you know, were, uh, came, came through naturally, but uh, many of them were planted uh, for harvest uh, many, many moons ago and uh, well beyond the harvest stage. But now they're just kind of uh, weak toothpicks. <laughs> and uh, we, we get a number of them that come down naturally uh, over the course of, you know, a year. You get a summer storm, you know, one or two will come down. But uh, we've seen a number now snap off here in the last week. And, and uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to guess that, uh, again, you, you said we're recording this Wednesday. So I'm going to guess as we go through the weekend here, we get the big uh, winds that they're calling for and more snow. Uh, we're going to have some some more damage, and there'll be some cleanup in the woods. Uh, lots of uh, lots of red pine firewood for the bonfire this uh, next couple of years, I think. Yeah, that happens occasionally, and unfortunately, it does some damage. I fortunately here we have still a lot of snow on the trees, but we didn't get that ice storm, uh, severe ice storm, so we haven't lost any significant trees yet, but. You know, we're bracing for the next one. That's what you do here in Wisconsin, for sure. Yep. Yep. Well, I don't imagine you've had a chance to do some ice fishing yet, huh? No, you know, we're trying to make some plans to go, and it was it was hit or miss as far as uh, safety, uh, ice on, uh, as far as ice goes. And uh, then we've had some snowstorms that have just, uh, you know, entered into the mix, and, and then timing of all of it. You know, it's Christmas season, Dan. we got uh, Christmas programs and things like that to to go for the kids, so uh, no ice fishing. This may be the latest uh, it has taken me to go ice fishing in, oh, man, it's got to be at least a decade. <laughs> it's got to yeah. be a long yeah. time. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll get out at some point. Well, the holiday hunt starts this weekend. Have you thought about that? Yeah, I think we're going to try to do some holiday hunt. I've got a couple of doe tags um, that uh, that are good for uh, Washera County. I've got one for... Um, um, uh, uh, Columbia County as well. I don't know if we'll get down to Columbia, but for sure we can slide over to uh, uh, Washera and uh, try to uh, take a doe. Um, again, we, we'd be using it uh, probably to donate to, uh, to some folks that really could use the meat. You know, and I've talked to Robert about, uh, you know, uh, 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 bow hunting is still open, and we've got some of these bucks still walking through now uh, just on a feeding pattern through our yard yet, and uh uh, again, there it's just kind of a matter of time. By the time he gets out of school each day, it's just about dark. So um, sometimes it's just a matter of timing to, to get it all to work out, and we'll see what happens yet uh, for the remainder of this year. But uh, I'm looking forward to doing something outside once we get beyond all of the snow. Yeah, I don't blame you. Well, I have been moving a lot of snow after these uh, snowfalls of, you know, three to five inches. We've had a couple of them. And I finally got that roadkill mostly cut up, although his hindquarters are rock solid in our hoop house right now. Uh, it was the finest venison I've eaten in a long time. We aged this uh, little uh, 
fork buck. I guess he was a fork. His antlers were broken off. Aged him for about a week and uh, cut the back straps out and the shoulders out and uh, ate one back strap the other night, and boy, was it good. And gosh, this is the fourth roadkill that John and I have dealt with this year. He hit one, I hit one, and Ozzy picked this one up uh, on our four-day antlerless hunt, and then I picked up another one that a friend hit. So um, no no bullet holes in my deer, but uh, a few body bruises is about it. Well, gosh, folks, coming up, wild foods expert Sam Thayer mentors his kids on their first deer hunt. It's an exciting story. Dan Quinnell invites us to a winter campout in Oconomowoc coming up in January. And author Nick Vanderpie tells how a peaceful protest helped stop a taconite mine in northern Wisconsin. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Have more success on the ice with the LiveScope Plus Ice Fishing Bundle LI from Garmin. Drill fewer holes, catch more fish. This portable live sonar bundle comes with the LiveScope Plus system, EchoMap UHD 93SV display, and a lithium battery. All packaged in a case making hole hopping a breeze. LiveScope Plus helps you find more fish with improved resolution, reduced noise, clearer images, and better target separation. Fill your freezer with fillets with help from Garmin. Visit Garmin.com or shop your local Garmin dealer today. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Joining me now is Dan Quinnell. He's the principal of Divine Savior Holy Angels High School in Milwaukee and a co-founder with Jason Johnson of a winter campout. He's joining us now to talk about next year's winter campout, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. Dan, welcome back, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's always a pleasure to talk about winter camping. How many years have you and your group been doing this now? This will be the 26th annual winter camp. And do you have a name for it? Other than winter camp? No, we haven't branded it yet. Uh, <laughs> perhaps that's something we can look at for next year. It's just the winter camp. <laughs> okay. Well, if you had some sponsors, like, I don't know, a sleeping bag sponsor or a cook stove sponsor or something, it could be the <laughs> the branded winter camp. But maybe you don't want to do that. <laughs> well, we're always looking for a new twist, and maybe that already gives us an idea for the 27th annual winter camp. Oh, there you go. Now, I joined you once, gosh, it was, seems like a decade ago, it probably was. I did not spend the entire night, but I brought a TV crew out. I stayed longer than they did, but we had a great time. There was uh, a big fire, bonfire, great food, and uh, I understand Chris Leffler is your caterer, your chef again this year? Yeah, Chris is wonderful. He owns 
left Lucky Town and Revere's and the Hot House here in the greater Milwaukee area. And he's great with food. And the last couple of years, he's done paella with several of the guys. And that's an event all in and of itself, cooking up all the different seafood and the meat that goes along with the rice and everything. And they have this walk the size of a canoe, practically. It's a lot of fun to watch them. Yeah, and that was the biggest walk I think I've ever seen. And great food. And, of course, we were cold and hungry, and it filled us up and and tasted wonderful. So besides building a fire and eating good food, what do you folks do, or what are you planning to do this year? First and foremost, about being outside and testing our limits to see if we could do it. And as it's grown, I think it's become about camaraderie, hanging out, meeting new people, and reconnecting with old friends that you just don't get to see every day. And in recent years, regardless of whether or not the Packers are playing in the playoffs, there's usually a TV or two mounted to trees and NFL playoff football to be watched as well. In fact, the night I was there, the Packers were playing. I don't remember who and whether they won or not, but uh, that was a highlight. And I was impressed with the way you had several screens set up and I guess a generator to uh, keep the power going, and it worked. You can, in fact, ratchet strap a TV to a tree and enjoy it around a big bonfire. Yeah. You say to test your limits. That was one of the reasons you did this. Is that why you and Jason got this started? Yeah, Jason and I have been best friends since kindergarten, and it's something that we had always talked about. And so one night when we were in college, I think it was all about testing the limits. Could we do it in January? And we found that you can, like lots of things, if you know a little bit about what you're doing and and have the right gear, you can enjoy the outdoors and extreme temperatures. Over 26 years, I think we've only had three nights that have been below zero. Many nights in the single digits or teens, and... The year that we came closest to canceling was a too warm night. It was in the 30s, and they were calling for rain all night long, and fortunately it didn't rain until the middle of the night, and it absolutely poured that January evening, but we were all nestled in tents and were able to stay dry. Yeah, well, I don't think you'll have that problem this year, but we never know since the weather changes so rapidly here in Wisconsin. Well, before we get too far into this conversation, when is this and where is it? This year the campout is Saturday night, January 14th, and it's in the town of Concord, just west of Oconomowoc. Okay, on somebody's private land there. Yeah, Matt Raymond, uh, his family owns some land out there, and he's been gracious enough the last several years to open up the farm for us to enjoy an evening in the woods. Cool. You talk about having the right equipment. What does it take to camp out in the winter? I've only done it once, and I went with a a group. I was actually teaching a class, and we went to the Boundary Waters Canoe Area in northern Minnesota, but we had two recent grads from Northland College who were our guides and outfitters, and they had dog sled team, and they had all the equipment we needed. So what should someone bring if they're going to camp out in the winter? I think what anybody would need to bring is a good sleeping bag that is rated to the temperature that we might have that evening. When Jason and I started it, we had done a little bit of research and took a hay bale with us. And so most of us who sleep on the ground will throw hay down first. It acts a bit as an insulator, but also creates a little bit more comfort on frozen ground. And then I just throw a sleeping bag a bivy, with a bivy sack on the ground and, and sleep under the stars for the night. Uh My sleeping bag's rated to negative 20. It's a toasty night of comfortable sleep for me. Yeah, and some people actually bring tents or hang a a tarp, like a tent fly, over their sleeping bag? 
Yeah, over the years, guys have gotten really creative with their approach to it. We've seen hammocks, ice shanties, tents. Randy Crawford, who I know you know, Randy uh, last year used shrink wrap and created a little bed and then used the shrink wrap to act as a windbreak. Over the years, I think we've seen more creativity than Jason and I ever would have imagined 26 years ago. Well, in fact, Randy loaned me his very warm coat that night. Even though I was, uh, you know, right by the fire, I got a little chilled and uh, borrowed his coat. I gave it back to him when I left, but since then, I have bought the identical coat, and he's seen me wear it uh, a couple times, so it's good to know he's going to be there again. Well, perhaps you need to come back with that coat, and we can get a picture of the two of you guys enjoying uh, a night around the fire again. Yeah, I think you had a big recliner, too, that I uh, I got at least one or two photos of me in that. I'll try to post them on Facebook when I remind people that this show is going to be on. You mentioned hammocks. We've had a guy on the show a couple times, Nick Gordon. I don't know if you know him, but he does winter camping outings and takes people out for hire, and he speaks very highly of hammocks, and that's how he sleeps in the winter. Nick should come join us, and if he's got any interested friends, bring them along this time around. I'd love to meet Nick. Well, I will put the two of you in touch and see uh, see if that happens. How many people typically come to this event? Well, it went from two of us 26 years ago to the last 10 or 12 years. I would say we're usually around 40 guys enjoying uh, the time together, plus or minus a few. And you have room for a couple more if some of our listeners might be interested. As my Uncle Joe and I always say, the more the merrier. For me, the fun of this event over the years has been just the different people that it has brought together. You know, everybody knows somebody, but maybe nobody knows everybody at this event. You know, it is a good chance to meet new people and and reconnect with friends. And I've always suggested that even if you want to come bring somebody with you, having a friend along can also make it more enjoyable for you. Certainly. And, of course, you want to know ahead of time if people are coming and how many so that Chris can prepare the food and so you have enough space and enough wood. Now, you burn wood all night. Where do you get the wood? (laughs) Well, we ventured last year into testing out having some wood delivered, and that worked out very well. And so we're going to have two dump truck loads of wood delivered by Dan's Tree Service. That will be the basic fuel for the night. We'll also arrange for some wood cutting probably sometime in the next two weeks really just to get enough fire starter going if you will to get a hot base so we can throw some larger logs in there all right so if people are interested this is uh, saturday night the 14th of january and so you get there i presume sometime during daylight and get set up and then eat and camp and break up in the morning sometime Yep, I'll be out there sometime mid-morning or by noon at the latest, and guys will start rolling in. There's plenty of parking in the farm field, and so you don't have a long way to walk with equipment or anything along those lines. But, yeah, I think it's best to get out and get set up at least for the evening before it's dark. All right. Well, Dan, I will let people contact me, and then I can forward anyone interested to you, and perhaps you'll get a few new faces at your camp out this year. That'd be great. We'd love to meet you. All right. Well, folks, if you're interested, you want to learn more, or you want to join Dan and his friends for this winter camp, you can contact me at dsoradio at gmail.com, dsoradio at gmail.com, or just message me on Facebook, Dan Small Outdoors is a way to find me on Facebook. Well, Dan, thanks so much, and I hope you have the appropriate weather for the kind of fun that you're looking forward to in a couple of weeks, and Appreciate you spending some time with us, and happy holidays to you. Thanks for having me.
Dan. It's good to hear your voice, and happy holidays to you as well. All right. Dan Quinnell is the principal of Divine Savior Holy Angels High School in Milwaukee, and he and Jason Johnson coordinate this winter camp event. And again, if you're interested, contact me at dsoradio at gmail.com or message me on Facebook at Dan Small Outdoors. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small, and joining me now from northern Wisconsin is the author of several books on foraging and wild foods educator Sam Thayer. His website is foragersharvest.com, and he sells his books there and a number of products that he and his wife Melissa produce from their own gardens and orchards and from wild foods as well. Sam, thanks for joining us, and welcome back. Thanks for having me on. We were talking a little bit before we started recording. You had one heck of a storm this past week, didn't you? Everybody had a a pretty good storm, but we got about 28 inches of snow, and the ice before the snow and our birch trees, most of them are leaning right over to the ground, and our five-acre alder patch is almost laying flat. So it's pretty impressive to see what winter can do and to see how the different trees react. Yeah, well, birches will spring back in most cases. They have that flexibility, but not all trees will do that. Yeah, the ironwoods were hit really hard, but I'd say we lost 10% of our trees are broken by the storm completely. Balsam firs and the aspens didn't lean. They just broke. But I'd say about one out of every six to eight of my birches broke. So I'll be doing an assessment, uh, tallying what we can make birch syrup. Yeah, and, of course, firewood in the future when it dries out. Yeah, lots of firewood this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've got a new book coming out in the spring, don't you? Yes, um, I have a field guide to edible wild plants of eastern and central North America, and this is a little bit different than my previous books where I have a short chapter on each plant. Here I have about a page dedicated to each plant, and I've try to be comprehensive, cover all the important wild edibles of eastern North America. So there's about 650 plants in the book. It's a big book, and I've been working on it on and off for a very long time, but it'll be coming out this May. Wonderful. All right. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. 600-plus plants. I, I don't think I can identify more than 50, but then I don't do what you do. So that's great that you've put that all together. Well, we called you to talk about deer season, uh, because you had an interesting post on your Facebook page about your kids' deer hunt. So why don't you tell us how that went down this year? Well, I've been fantasizing about what it would be like to take my kids hunting since way before I even had kids. But you really can't quite grasp what it's going to be like until you experience it. And man, it's just the greatest thing. My daughter, who's 13 now, she took hunter safety last year and went out with me last year did not get a deer, did very good. She sat still when it was time to sit still, despite the cold, and she passed up a couple shots that I would have taken, but she was the opposite of trigger happy, and that's what I want to see. And then my son took hunter safety this year. He's 11, and this was his first year out. 
So opening morning, I had her in a blind a little ways away from me, shouting distance, and he was right next to me because he's still under the mentored hunt. So, you know, we kind of had the gun between us and we talked about if a deer comes here, you take it. If a deer comes here. But we didn't see any deer opening morning. But we ended up flushing a deer toward my daughter on Sunday, and she just wasn't emotionally ready to take that shot. This big doe came and just stopped right in front of her. I mean, she felt terrible. She just couldn't do it. And I said, that's okay. That's okay. She ended up shooting a deer the very last day of the nine-day gun season. And I was so proud of her because I was going to post her at a particular location where there's a lot of feeding activity. The deer were feeding during the day because they're only browsing, so they were needed to kind of feed anytime they, their rumen was empty. So I knew they'd be feeding during the day. She had been to the spot with me, but I kind of gave her directions to that spot, and I went up the hill, and she was only gone for me about eight minutes, and I heard a shot. And I was with my son Josh, and I thought, wow, well, I think that was my daughter there. <laughs> and it turned out she had shot a buck, a fork buck, from only about 10 yards away, and, you know, I said, hey, walk slowly, alertly, to your posting location, because there's a lot of deer feeding activity in there. There's a lot of raspberries on the hillside in the brush, and indeed, this deer was coming down the hillside, browsing, and never saw her, had no idea she was there, and to see that look in her eyes and the excitement, and after having put in a lot of hours, I'm glad it wasn't too easy. She put in a lot of hours hunting. And then when she was ready, she was ready, and she made a good shot. And she was really excited to be involved in every part of it, to gut it, to butcher it, you know, and all of that. Did she talk about how she wasn't prepared to shoot a deer the first opportunity she had when that doe came by, but she was when the buck showed up? You know, in the conversation ensuing around not shooting this first deer, I was at first really disappointed because I didn't understand what had happened. Like, how were you not ready? I just wasn't ready. And I thought, I meant you weren't in position, your gun wasn't up. And she's like, no, I, I just wasn't ready. I'm like, oh, you mean like emotionally you weren't ready? And then she's, yeah, you know, she felt kind of sheepish about it. I said, hey, that's okay. That's okay. I was there once too. Maybe not everybody admits this, but it's a big deal to kill an animal that's as big as you or bigger than you. So we did talk about that, and she said, Dad, I'm sorry. Next time I have a chance, I will. I know I will. I know I'll be ready. And she sat in another spot Sunday evening, and she had a deer coming towards her through the aspen poles. Didn't come quite within range. And, you know, she was telling me about it and how excited she was and everywhere it was standing and all the details that you remember when you're hunting but not otherwise. And, and I was like, she is ready. I think she is ready. She just needed that to see like how intense that is when an animal comes so close. She needed to have that experience once before she was ready to take advantage of it. And so I felt like when she gets another chance, she's, she's going to do it. And she did. And she feels good about it now. And you say she went through the uh, field dressing, the butchering, and everything else. Yeah, you know, I don't think there was ever a time where she felt like she didn't feel good about it. It's just a big deal. It almost like freezes you. If that deer had stood there five more seconds, the one she didn't shoot, she probably would have shot it. I think it just would have taken her a few more seconds to realize, okay, this is the moment. Take it. Now, my son, doing the mentor hunt, I mostly track deer. So I wanted to teach both of them how I track deer. And we got on a deer track that was fresh and followed it. And I actually told him the deer is probably watching us. There's a good chance this deer is watching us. If it isn't watching us, there's a good chance we'll get a shot at it when it gets up from its bed because it probably won't bed for more than two hours. We're just trying to teach him that patience. 
And sure enough, a deer got up and it started walking, weaving around and feeding in this hemlock stand we were in, hemlocks and maples. He had the gun. I was not going to take the gun. I was just going to let him work through it. And he had four or five good broadside opportunities to shoot that deer. And he was so nervous and so excited that he could barely function, you know. I'm like, you got to bring it up to your eye. I was whispering in his ear, got to bring it up to your eye. Yeah. <laughs> By the end, I think he might have been ready, but I thought, you know, he's just too caught up in the excitement of this moment to even take this shot. At any moment, I could have taken the gun from him and just shot the deer, or at several moments. But I was like, no, this is all for him. He's got to work through this. Afterwards, he was ecstatic that his sister had gotten the deer, and we helped her drag it out. And I felt great about the experience, even though he didn't get a deer. Now, he'll be ready next year if the opportunity comes up. What a great story. What's his sister's name? Mirica. Mirica. So Josh yep. shared Mirica's excitement and her success and wasn't let down by the fact that he, he didn't shoot one. I was worried that he would be maybe a little bit jealous that she got a deer and he didn't. But he actually said to me, he said, Dad, I'm so glad that Mirica got a deer because she spent so much more time than me. He said something like, she deserved it more than I did. And I just thought that was such a great attitude for him to have. <laughs> And now you as a father who have had that experience of mentoring your two kids and one successfully killed a deer, you say you fantasized about this for years. How did you take it all in? It was the most joy that hunting has ever brought me. I always enjoy it immensely, but this was just like completing this circle. And actually a really incredible thing happened. When I was in my 20s through Big Brothers Big Sisters program, I mentored a young boy who was nine at the time, took him out in the woods, took him hunting a couple of times, and then I hadn't heard from him in 16 years. Just after deer season, I got a message back from him saying, thank you so much for bringing me out in the woods. This has become such a big part of my life, and a lot of that is thanks to you. And I was overwhelmed. That experience sort of prepared me for this with my kids. But I think it's so it's so easy to forget what an impact we can have just a few times out in the woods with a young person. Well, Sam, a great story, and I'm glad you had a successful season, and your kids are eager to do it again and, uh, and hunt some more. Yeah, I wouldn't miss it. Well, Sam, we're going to let you go, but thank you so much, and uh, happy holidays to you and your family, and we'll send folks to your website to learn more about your products and your books. Thank you. Sam Thayer, his website is foragersharvest.com, and you can check out his books and products there. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. 
Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the Disruption Camo Pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Have more success on the ice with the LiveScope Plus Ice Fishing Bundle LI from Garmin. Drill fewer holes, catch more fish. This portable live sonar bundle comes with the LiveScope Plus system, EchoMap UHD 93SV display, and a lithium battery. All packaged in a case making hole hopping a breeze. LiveScope Plus helps you find more fish with improved resolution, reduced noise, clearer images, and better target separation. Fill your freezer with fillets with help from Garmin. Visit Garmin.com or shop your local Garmin dealer today. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. And joining me now is an old friend. He's an author, a freelance public radio show host. He had a show on WOJB for a number of years. He's an activist as well. He lives up in northern Wisconsin. His name is Nick Vanderpie, and he has a new book out this year called Water Protectors, The Help Campaign to Save the Pinocchies. The book chronicles the peaceful occupation of Ojibwe tribal land up in northern Wisconsin a decade ago to protest a proposed mine in the Pinocchie Mountains, and he joins us now by phone. Well, Nick, thanks for joining us. Good to hear your voice and talk to you again. Good to hear you, Dan. Yesterday I was in Eagle River. I was given a book talk about water protectors, the help campaign to save the Pinocchies. Back in the 80s, I was something of a pariah. I was a supporter of Ojibwe treaty rights, and maybe more deeply a supporter of clean water, being an early water protector. And there were several women, half were from uh, Lac de Flambeau, and the others were from Eagle River, and they invited me to talk about this book. And I had a a really beautiful time. You know, I guess one of my dreams back in the day was that I could publish a book and that people would ask me to sign it. The gist of the story is we were instructed by Ojibwe spiritual leaders on how to save the Pinocchies, and the information went like this. Fast, learn the Ojibwe language, study the culture, make maple sugar, give it away, and finally build community. The Pinocchies mean Bin-Aki, that's how we translate the name of the place. Bin-Aki means clean, pure, beautiful Mother Earth. And if you've ever fished on the Tyler Forks River for brook trout, the Tyler Forks is a kind of a gash in the earth with brook trout, which are some of the most gorgeous fish in North America. A group called GTAC and Klein Mining wanted to dig a thousand-foot hole there and leave their tailing ponds, which would have made the river extremely vulnerable, and more importantly, the downstream Ojibwa people at Bad River who rely on wild rice and on plant medicines. We've seen several 500-year floods in the North Country over the past 10 years. It was in 2016, Highway 63 blew up, Highway 2 blew up. We had about 10, 12 inches of rain in a few hours. Had that mine been built, those toxic tailings would have flooded into the Tyler Forks, down to Bad River, would have passed through Copper Falls.
Falls State Park, which is visited annually by about 100,000 people, and contaminated the Bad River and probably sent the Bad River people packing up to Red Lake uh, to live in a FEMA camp. Wow. We stopped that mine through denying the company a social license to operate in our territory. And this was leveraged by Euro-American people like myself, uh, led by the indigenous, led by the likes of, you know, Mike Wiggins, Joe Rose, uh, uh, Sandy Gokey. Uh, we, we collaborated with each other. We, we built a camp up in the Pinocchies. We, I brought out my old wall tent, my 14 by 12 wall tent and my four dog wood stove and my cot and my sleeping bag. And we lived up there from the summer of 2013 to 2014. And eventually the, uh, the company, uh, tired of us. They, they wanted to knock down our camp, but we had made friends with the cop with the Glock, a man named Tony Furrick. And he refused to uh, do the will of Iron County, which they basically wanted to treat us the same way they treated the warriors at Standing Rock a few years ago. Sure. Yeah, one of the highlights of my life, we lived on wild rice, deer meat, partridge. We played cribbage every night. I lost 22 consecutive times to Larry Ackley. So if anybody <laughs> wants to play cribbage and build up their reputation, play me. We had a great time. And we ended up following the advice of Robert Van Zyl. We tapped trees at Whitecap. I don't know if it's known, but a tribal member can go into a county forestry department and ask for trees on public land, and they have to give you trees to tap. We did that in Iron County at Whitecap. They weren't real happy, but we knew the law. This is ceded territory, which runs from the Keweenaw all the way down to Wausau. But we ended up making sugar on Steve Feeney's land and also on Rusty Buck's land. Steve Feeney was an F-16 mechanic from Madison who had first, you know, had some apprehensions about the long hairs, but eventually became a deep ally to us. As did Rusty Buck, who was a Findian or a, a Finn logger, but became a Findian in terms of his connection to tribal people. And my job was kind of to be the redneck whisperer, connect with the hunting and fishing people, I talked the language. I was a guide for 30 years. Sure. By the way, I'm, I'm, go, I'm going back into guiding. But it was a highlight. And, you know, being around people yesterday was a real rush. It was like a three- or four-hour uh, hallucination. Being in a town like Eagle River where they were shooting at us and firing wrist rocket slingshot pellets at us at the landings back in the 80s. Things have improved tremendously, I'm happy to report. Well, that is a great story. You've kind of summed up your speaking engagement in Eagle River and the way things have changed in the public attitude there toward you and toward Native people, but also kind of summed up the HELP campaign that you chronicle in the book. What does HELP stand for? It's an acronym, H-E-L-P. HELP is Harvest Education Learning Project. When you came to HELP Camp, you learned how to pick wild onions. You learned how to skin a deer, you learned how to gut a deer, you learned how to make sugar, you learned how to fry musky in a cast iron skillet, you learned how to catch suckers. This is kind of a return to the bush. You know, I was advised by elders, there's three things you need to do in the face of climate catastrophe. Cultivate a butterfly garden, number one. And number two, plant wild rice. Number three, spend at least a month in the bush. Well, we were in the bush from spring of 2013 to spring of 2014. 
And you know, you know this country, Dan. You get east of Maryland, 77. You come into big snow country. You come into 150, 200 inches of snow a year, and a temperature for three to four weeks, 30 below zero. Dan, it was so cold. If you spilled coffee or tea, it sounded like a pistol shot going off. Oh boy, that was the solar vortex winter too, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a tough winter, but. I, I like to steal a line from the old wood tech canoe man, Cal Rutstrom. It was paradise below zero. <laughs> we had cultivated Rusty Buck, the logger, to sell us 10 cords of hard rock maple. And Bill Hark, who ran a printing shop in Ashland at the time, was out there with his John's Red Chainsaw, sawing that dry wood up, and we bring it back to it. We really had a village out there. Okay, we had wigwams, we had uh, canvas wall tents, we were super insulated, we had good flies over us, we had straw bales to insulate the perimeters. We were living on wood, you know, we were living, you know, old school, you know. The power went out here last week for about three days, and people who had wood stoves were, were happy, you know, they could melt snow, they could make their coffee, they could get some warmth. In the face of what you're seeing with the energy crisis, I think we should be practicing how to live off-grid uh, maybe once or twice a month from now on. Well, Nick, why was the HELP campaign successful, do you think? I think because we sacrificed. We gave something back. It's like when you want the spirits to help you, you got to make an offer. You know, in our case, we offer tobacco, or we offer sage, or we offer fear, or maybe in the Lakota sense, during the Sundance, we offer blood. And that sounds pretty harsh, but when you think about it, we appreciate the gift of good water. We live near artesian wells and, you know, harvesting water out by Upson Lake. There's a couple of really good maps in the book written by Carl Sack showing some of the highlights of our camp where we feasted, where we uh, met the mercenaries that were hired by the company to get rid of us. We sacrificed. We went out in a bush. I wasn't working at Quick Trip during that winter. I was in the woods. Part of my job was to lead this peaceful resistance, but it, w it was a war. But we didn't have guns, and we didn't bring out bulldozers and knock anybody's houses over like happened at Standing Rock. We fed our opponents. Mm -hmm. We fed the mercenaries who were up on the hill with their automatic weapons. Our women went up, were roasted chicken. Well, you know, that's kind of a tried and true strategy to make peace which is what we're about. We made peace up in the hill with our neighbors and with the company and with some people who probably would have just as soon shot us until they fell in love with our food and our music and our, what do the Germans say, a gemütlichkeit. Sure. I think those are some of the strategies, plus we loved each other. You know, a lot of people fell in love on that in that operation. You know, there were babies that came out of that camp. Huh. And lifelong friendships and, and relationships. Speaking of the cop, Tony Furr, just a quick story. I saw Tony at Mazowski Park uh, west of Ashford. He was filling up his jug with artesian water. And his woman was with him. And I went up to her and I said, you know, your man is a cop that followed his vows to serve and protect. He is one of the finest cops I have ever met. He kept the peace up on the hill. He didn't violate treaty rights by knocking over our camp. I'm a non-Indian. I'm, I'm Dutch and German heritage. 
the state may have jurisdiction over me out in the woods, but they don't have jurisdiction over Sandy Goki because Sandy benefits from the 1842 rights of usual occupancy, which is still good law in the United States. It was affirmed by Mill Axe versus Minnesota in 1999. And we look forward to more people enforcing and living these treaty rights as this climate catastrophe converges on us. You can't harvest deer and fish if they're polluted. And this is what I learned from Walt Brissett years ago. The treaty rights are a very powerful vehicle to keep the water clean and protected. And that's what my book is called, Water Protector, the health campaign to save the Pinocchis. Well, where can we get a copy of your book, Nick? Send me a message on Facebook. I'm uh, Nick Vanderpine, N-I-C-K-V-A-N-D-E-R-P-U-Y. Or you can email me at nickvanderpie at gmail.com. Or if you want to give some money to Jeff Bezos, which I'll end up sharing, you can buy it on Amazon. All right. Well, Nick, thanks so much for sharing so much of your story with us. And Miigwech, as your Ojibwe friends have taught us to say. And I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and a successful 2023. Gigawaba men, which means see you later, alligator. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks, Dan. Nick Vanderpie, a man of many hats, talking about his book, Water Protectors, the Help Campaign to Save the Pinocchis. You can get a copy or learn more about it on his Facebook page, Nick Vanderpie, N-I-C-K-V-A-N-D-E-R-P-U-Y. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Since our inception, Huntworth has worked relentlessly to incorporate innovative technologies and forward-thinking design into affordable camouflage apparel. Our gear, designed with the Disruption Camel Pattern, utilizes computer-generated graphics featuring a high level of random and abstract visual noise to help you remain undetected in the environment. So whether you need the latest in hunting gear technology or clothing that just simply fits your lifestyle, Huntworth Gear is what you're looking for. HuntworthGear.com. That's HuntworthGear.com. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. The Midwest's largest fishing website, lake-link.com, is your online fishing resource. 90% of Lake Link's features are yours to use free of charge. And members get access to Lake Link's online lake map library, lets you get GPS coordinates of any spot on the lake, and export waypoints to your onboard electronics. Members also get free outdoor classified ads, discounts on online store merchandise, and a whole lot more. You can also listen to Outdoors Radio 24-7 on Lake Link. Listen to this week's show... Catch any of our past shows, subscribe to our podcast, or even sign up for our weekly e-newsletter so you'll know in advance what's coming up right here. Just type in the keyword radio. See what you've been missing. Log on to lake-link.com today. That's lake-link.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Jeff Kelm. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend on the web at cedarlakesales.com. And Cedar Lake Sales will be closed from December 24th through January 2nd. And then uh, they'll be getting ready for the Milwaukee Boat Show. Check out their website and Facebook page for other details. We're also brought to you by Huntworth Gear, performance camo wear at a price you can afford, huntworthgear.com. And by Ducks Unlimited, the world's leader in wetlands conservation, a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and Duck Hunters everywhere at ducks.org. If our TV show Outdoor Wisconsin is not airing where you live, you can always watch past episodes at milwaukeepbs.org. And this year's Deer Hunt Wisconsin show, along with the last few years of shows, is archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV YouTube channel. You'll find a link to it on my Facebook page. And uh, the radio show that you hear right now is uh, also online. You can find it at lake-link.com. You go to their website and uh, scroll all the way down. You'll find their outdoor radio page, and uh, you'll be able to um, take this show with you, download this episode, past episodes, and enjoy us whenever you get the time. You can find Dan on social media throughout the week at Dan Small Outdoors. Find me at Hardwater Jeff. Just a few calendar items this week. We mentioned the holiday antlerless deer hunt. That runs from the 24th through January 1st in 37 counties. So check the regs booklet for details if you're thinking of going. And if you're going ice fishing anytime soon, Jeff talked about safety. Gosh, be extremely careful. Early ice can be thin and dangerous. Carry ice picks, wear a flotation jacket or PDF and PFD rather. <laughs> and use, yeah, PDF is, <clears throat> that's something else. And use uh, a spud, a spud bar or an ice chisel. Be careful on big waters like Winnebago, Bay of Green Bay, and over in Minnesota, Malax, and all those other big lakes over there. And if you happen to catch a mud puppy through the ice, take a photo. We talked about it last week. Release it carefully and send the photo to the DNR. Just uh, look on their website for information on that. And the DNR has stocked pheasants, or they were planning to this week. I don't know if they'll get it, uh, get it done with the snow coming, but 25 public hunting areas this week are going to get 2,800 additional pheasants to provide opportunities for you to hunt, and the season runs through January 8th, so check the regs booklet for where those uh, are located. Actually, the DNR website, pheasant stocking is the keyword uh, to check out where they are stocking those pheasants. And if you're looking for something to do outdoors on New Year's Day, first day hikes in parks, forests, trails, and recreation areas offer guided and self-guided hikes. They're, they're free, but some areas require a park sticker or a trail pass. So uh, check the DNR website, keywords, events calendar. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. You can hear more of his tunes at warrennelson.com. I'm Je- uh, I'm Dan Small here with Jeff Kelm. Jeff, I'm Merry Jeff Christmas. You're yeah, Dan. you're Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas to you and to everyone out there. Merry Christmas, Dan. Thank you. And get outside, folks, this weekend. Be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. Let's get to the perfect speed. Oh, how I love leaving the shore behind. When the cool night swallows the moose's nose and the heron is fishing on one cold lake.
When the loon cries lover In the blue north wind I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly On the gunnel When my lazy Ike is just too lazy to lure When the worms go dry In the coffee can, honey 